0: at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. In particular, I want to highlight the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon. This is my latest podcast. We have nine episodes posted for your listening pleasure. And this is a podcast that's designed to be shorter, uh, snack size, with each week either featuring a short-form program or a short excerpt of a longer work. We have nine episodes posted so far, and we've got such great variety. We've had Jimmy Stewart, Charlie McCarthy, John Nesbitt, and even Walt Disney on. And this is just a great podcast for getting an idea of the wide variety of different old-time radio programs that are out there and really experiencing some really different programs. So I do encourage you to check it out, snackwagon.net. New episodes posted every Monday at snackwagon.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. And we will be playing Episodes 1 and 2 of this week's five-part serial with Episodes 3, 4, and 5 on Friday. So if you'd like, you can hit pause now and just come back to this on Friday and listen to all five parts together, whichever you'd prefer. But here now, from May 21st and May 22nd, 1956, is The Tears of Not Matter Episodes 1 and 2.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for. Johnny Dollar. Uh,
2: this is Hillary Fuchs, CPA. You left word for me to call Mr. Dollar. I don't seem to recall the name.
1: I'm with Universal Adjusters. They asked me to look into this Wendover claim.
2: Universal Adjusters? Insurance Adjusters?
1: That's right, insurance. I understand you filed the claim in Mrs. Wendover's name.
2: Mrs. Wendover hired me to handle her affairs a few days ago. Who do you want to talk to, me or Mrs. Wendover?
1: Anybody who can make me understand why Mrs. Wendover let a $50,000 policy lie around for two years before she filed a claim. I'll try. I don't know whether I can convince you or not, but I'll try. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, 518 Spear Boulevard, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Tears of Night matter. Expense account item one, $92.50, airfare and incidentals, Hartford to Miami Beach, Florida. My plane got in at 11 p.m., so I went to a hotel and got some sleep. I put in a call to Hillary Fuchs, certified public accountant, as soon as I woke up. Then I had some breakfast and took a cab out to his office. It was a pleasant four-mile trip along a beautiful white-sanded oceanfront, and it cost me Adam, two, three bucks even.
2: Come on in here, Dollar. The air conditioner's working here.
1: Hillary Fuchs was a big man in his late 40s. He was semi-bald, had a good sunburn, and smelled faintly of Scotch whiskey. The office he led me into was cool and dark and elegantly furnished in bamboo knick-knacks. The desk was cluttered with a stack of financial statements and legal papers.
2: This is quite a thing, I guess, Dollar. By the way, I didn't find any universal insurance adjusters in the phone book. We're located in Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford? You're a long way from home, Dollar. They sent you all the way to Miami Beach about this? Yep. Seems like a pretty expensive way to handle it. Pretty expensive claim, $50,000. Would it do any good to tell you it's legitimate? Sure, but I'm hired to check it out just the same. (laughs) In other words,
1: you don't believe me. Well, look at it our way, Mr. Fuchs. The claim came into the office day before yesterday, and we have 72 hours to act on it. Okay. What can I do? First off, tell me your connection with Mrs. Wendover.
2: She hired me to put her business affairs in order about ten days ago. First time I ever saw her. She said the Treasury Department had advised her to get some expert help. They were on her about back taxes, and that's it. Oh, I see. Tell me about Noah Wendover's death. He died two years ago, last April 14th. By the way, it's just coming to me... Did you people... I mean, did the insurance company know anything about him being dead until that claim came in? No. (laughs) No wonder they sent you all the way from Hartford. Well, uh, Wendover and his wife took a party of eight out on their boat for a ten-day cruise. Wendover had an attack of appendicitis at sea. There wasn't a doctor aboard. The appendix burst, and he died before they could make the nearest port. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me get back to the original question, Why all this time before Mrs. Wendover
1: filed claim for benefits?
2: Well, you really got to know Mrs. Wendover, I guess. She's a little crazy, a little wacky, a little strange. These are your impressions of her? It's a consensus. I asked her around after she came here the other day. The story is that she and Wendover had a pretty good thing in their marriage. They were wild about each other. They spent money like water, and they had plenty of it to spend. Then one day he died. Kind of threw her. Maybe it's still throwing her. I don't know. Sure, sure. Somewhere along the line, in the last year, Mrs. Wendover's met somebody else. Oh, I don't know who he is, because I wasn't paying any attention when she mentioned his name. But she's sort of coming out of it, and she's going to marry him. Uh So she wants to get her business affairs in order. From the look of things, nobody's done much about them since Wendover's death. You see all that stuff on the desk? Yeah, I noticed it. It's all hers. (laughs) She brought it to me in three big hat boxes. Stocks, bonds, bills, deeds, I don't know what all. I know she's in a little trouble with the government, not because she hasn't got the money to pay them, but just because she hasn't bothered with anything like that. Huh? Anyhow, one of the first things I came across was the insurance policy thrown in there with all the rest of the stuff. And look, you see these checks? Yeah. Almost $90,000 dividends on some oil stock. Doesn't even bother to open her mail or cash her checks. <laughs> well, a lot of people around the country, including your insurance company, are going to be startled when I finish straightening all this out. I sent the policy claim in as a matter of course. That's my explanation for it being two years late. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good explanation. Look here. She completely forgot she loaned an $8,000 automobile to a friend in Tampa 14 months ago. I asked her about it, and she said she thought she'd left it at the filling station. What? And here, the boat went over on, worth $60,000. She sold it to a fisherman last year for $5,000. Yeah,
1: I get the idea, Mr. Fuchs. Yeah. So you filed the insurance claim in her name along with a dozen other matters that should have been taken care of two years ago. Yeah. You play golf?
2: No. Well, I do, and I'm tired of looking at this pile of stuff. Mind if I look at it? Help yourself. All yours. I'll be at the club. Do whatever you have to. By the way, what do you have to do?
1: Verify this death certificate in the coroner's report. Then you will honor the claim? I'll file my report, and it's up to the insurance company to do as they see fit.
2: You're kind of cagey, aren't you?
1: Uh, that's why they pay me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, uh, Mr. Fuchs. Yeah?
1: Is there some kind of bank balance in this stuff, current?
2: Oh, you'll find it there, but I'll tell you, in cash, Mrs. Wendover's worth about $950,000. I doubt very much if she's trying to cheat the insurance company out of $50,000.
1: You can't ever tell, though, can you, Mr. Fuchs?
2: Nope. Can't ever tell. <laughs>
1: After he left, I got on the telephone and talked to officials about the coroner's autopsy and the death certification on Noah Wendover. They all seemed to be in order. Then I went through the papers on Fuchs' desk. They seemed to be in enough disorder to verify what he told me about Elise Wendover. I left Fuchs' office about 4.30 and went back to my hotel, carrying a picture of a woman who had existed in a state of limbo for two years or more, so far as responsibility and attention to business went. Johnny Dollar.
2: Uh, Hillary Fuchs, can you come over to my office right away?
1: I just left there. What's up?
2: Mrs. Wendover, she's having a fit. Come on over.
1: Expense account item three. Three more bucks, more cab fare, back to Hillary Fuchs' office. I pulled up in front at exactly 5.30 and noticed a 1956 white Cadillac convertible parked in front. For no reason at all, I took 30 seconds to peek inside. The registration told me the car belonged to Elise Blair Wendover. She had left her purse on the seat and the keys in the ignition. A mink stole was thrown carelessly over the back of the seat. Anybody could have taken the stole, the purse, the car, the whole works. Mrs. Wendover was living up to her advance notices. Come in, come in. Fuchs looked pale and shaken. He fumbled around for a cigarette until I handed him one of mine.
2: He lit it up and tried to get a grip on himself. Mrs. Wendover's in there. Yeah, what happened? I had some papers for her to sign, and she dropped in a little while ago. Uh I told her about you. I I explained to her it was certainly reasonable the insurance company would want to investigate a claim that had been delayed 25 months. She blew up, got kind of hysterical about it, said she wanted to see you right away, that she had something to tell you. Go easy on her, will you? Why do you say that? Oh, it's just that, well, if I'm wrong about her, I'm glad, but... I don't think I'm wrong when I say she's right on the edge. Just on the edge of it. Feeling better,
1: Mrs. Wendover? The pale girl with the coal black hair... ...seated stiffly in the chair in front of Hillary Fuchs' desk... ...was not feeling better. She could have been 16 or 36. It depended on where you were standing when you looked at her. She had a mouth that was too full. Shoulders too wide for the strapless sundress... A pair of sandals, a clanking costume bracelet, and black eyes, round, big, bright, too bright. This is Mr. Dollar, Mrs. Wendover.
3: I understand you're investigating my husband's death.
1: I'm here to verify the facts so that eastern states can act on your claim.
3: Don't you believe he's dead?
1: Yes. Don't you?
3: Oh, yes. I saw him die. Yes, he's dead. How much money do you owe me?
1: The claim is for $50,000.
3: Will you pay it?
1: Well, I, I presume it will be paid from all I've seen so far. Of course, that part of it's up to the insurance company.
3: Of course. And they have men sitting at desks reading reports about claims. All day long.
1: Uh, yes. My
3: dad owned an insurance company once, you know. Those men sitting at their desks. Even my dad sat at a desk. I wonder something. Would one of those men sitting at one of those desks write okay on my claim for Noah's benefits if he knew about me?
2: Uh, Sit down, Mrs. Wendover. Maybe
1: you'd like a drink. You
3: have one, Mr. Fuchs. Would they?
1: Well, I, I have to be indefinite about that, too, Mrs. Wendover. What would put a question in the mind of an adjuster if he knew about
2: you?
3: I'm indolent and I'm irresponsible. Mr. Fuchs can tell you that. I'm not quite dependable, am I, Mr. Fuchs?
2: Oh, we're getting straightened out, Mrs. Wendover. And then,
3: of course... That wouldn't make a difference. I mean, not really. A great many irresponsible, indolent, undependable people file planes. There's something else. I'm a curse. Are you? Oh, yes. It's a very bad thing. A curse. People around me, people I love, just seem to. die.
1: Why do you think you're a curse?
3: Noah died. And I loved him. And Daddy, I loved him. And my brother Jim. All dead. No one can stay alive around me. I thought I should tell you that.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Mrs. Wendover.
3: Well, then we don't have anything more to discuss. Goodbye, Mr. Dollar. Mr. Fuchs.
1: Oh, wait a minute. Johnny, hey, where are you going? I'm going to drive her home. You are right. She's on the edge of something. I can't quite figure it yet
2: brother was killed in Korea. Her father died of a heart attack ten years ago. I got that much from the papers on your desk. Lord, where'd she ever get the idea? Oh, I don't know. I've heard of things
1: like this happening. I'll phone you later. Right. Wait a minute. I'll drive you home, Mrs. Wendover.
3: Oh, that'll be nice.
1: She smiled brightly, still too brightly, and we drove along. She didn't tell me which way to turn, what direction to go, and I didn't ask her. I liked it that way. No one saying a word. I was listening to something else, anyhow. Something inside of me, loud, like a cannon firing twice a second. It was my heart making all the noise. Oh, it's happened a couple of times before. And it meant trouble coming up. I knew it. My heart never makes a mistake.
3: Mr. Dollar, do you think he'll die, too?
1: Honey, Dollar.
2: Hillary Fuchs, Dollar. How's Mrs. Wendover?
1: So far, so good.
2: Dollar, can you talk?
1: Yeah, sure. She's in the other room.
2: Do you think she's all right? Mentally, I mean.
1: I think she's all right enough to get by. I think she's scared to death of something or somebody.
2: That business of the curse? Yeah. You know there isn't anything to that.
1: There's something to it for her. She thinks she's somehow responsible for her husband's death, for her father's death, and for her brother's death. On the way here, she mentioned, just like that, that someone else was going to die awards to that effect. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Tears of Night matter. It had started as a routine investigation. A claim filed for $50,000 on the death of Noah Wendover, Miami Beach, Florida. The question, why the two-year delay in making claim? The answer turned out to be interesting. Briefly, it involved a distraught woman who had neglected not only the insurance, but everything else in her life for two years. A woman obsessed with the idea she was a curse.
3: Do you like soda or water?
1: Uh, Soda, please. Thanks. Cheers.
3: Good luck. Mm. What's your name again?
1: Johnny Dollar.
3: Oh, yes, that's right. Mr. Fuchs introduced us, didn't he? Do you think he'll be able to straighten out all my business affairs for me?
1: Yes, I think so, Mrs. Wendover.
3: Including the insurance?
1: Including the insurance, yes.
3: Well. You're worried about the claim, aren't you?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm paid to worry about it. I'm not so worried now as when I first came to Miami Beach. I think I understand why it took all this time for the claim to be filed.
3: You mean you've met me and you think I'm kind of... you know, not all there or something. Well... I suppose Mr. Fuchs explained how badly I've managed things for the last two years.
1: He showed me how you've let your affairs go to the devil, if that's what you mean. You mean... I'm glad you finally turned it all over to him. I think he'll take care of it for you.
3: I behaved rather badly in Mr. Fuchs' office, didn't I?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that.
3: Poor Mr. Fuchs. He was frightened, I think. I don't know what it is, really. I mean, he mentioned that you were in town investigating my claim on Noah's death. I felt I should talk to you. That's why I had him call you. I wanted to tell you about the curse.
1: There's no such thing you know, Mrs. Wendover.
3: I know, I know couldn't have been responsible for dad's death. It was a heart attack many years ago. I was away at school in New York, and Jim, my brother being killed in Korea, I couldn't have had anything to do with that. And Noah, oh, I loved him very much. I'm not cursed, am I?
1: No, no, you certainly aren't. All of these deaths around you have been tragic, doubly so, because you seem to have been very fond of the people. But you aren't responsible in any way.
3: I like you. You're very nice. If you have any questions you want to ask me about Noah, I'd be glad to answer them. I really would. I'm all right now. Really, I am.
1: Well, when we left Mr. Fuchs' office, you talked a lot about that curse business. Yes,
3: I'm ashamed. Were you
1: still thinking of that when you spoke to me in the car?
3: Did I speak to you in the car? Yes. You know... I can't remember riding in the car at all. I've been standing here talking to you, and I've been wondering all this time how we got here.
1: Do you mind if I help myself? No. We drove over together from Hillary Fuchs' office. I drove you here.
3: Oh. Oh. Some things I just blank out. I've talked to a psychiatrist, you know. I mean, I've been under treatment for several months. He says I established a strong pattern when Noah died of shutting things out, of just forcing my mind to become blank. He's trying to help me get over it. What did I say in the car?
1: You said you were cursed and you wondered if he would die. Oh, dear. Who's he? Teddy. Teddy, uh...
3: Teddy Davis. I'm going to marry him when he asks me. Uh Ah. And I know he will. I love him very much. Well,
1: why do you think... Teddy might die.
3: Because of people dying around me that I love?
1: He doesn't believe in the curse, does he?
3: Oh, no. He's something like you, in a way. Nice. He makes me laugh at it. He says it's ridiculous.
1: Because it is.
3: Somehow I feel comforted.
1: Now, look. You marry this fellow the minute he asks you and forget about being cursed and everything else. He'll take care of you. Well, i better go now.
3: Mr. Dollar. Yes? Thank you. I need sometimes very much to talk to someone like you. Thank
1: you. Jay Dollar, Oracle. Go out and marry so-and-so and live happily ever after. I liked the little kiss she gave me. I liked the way she squeezed my hand. I liked the perfume she was wearing. I liked the way the intense, hard brightness had gone out of her black eyes and she was just a nice woman being a woman. I liked all that. What I didn't like was the idea that she could be the other way, believing in the curse and believing she was somehow responsible for people dying. When I left her, I knew that part wasn't ended. I knew it would come
2: back. Come on in, Dollar. I sort of stuck around wondering if you'd come back here. How is she? She's okay now. Fuchs,
1: I'm sending in my report on this policy tonight. I'm recommending they honor it. I've got enough verification.
2: Okay, that's fine. sure appreciate your help on this, Dollar. Let me buy you dinner. No, no thanks. I'm getting the
1: first plane back to Hartford.
2: Why not wait until tomorrow? You've got a
1: reason, haven't you? Yeah, I guess so. Mrs. Wendover? Oh, I've met people like her before. Don't ask me where or when, but I've seen them. And there isn't anything to a curse, but trouble seems to follow them. Big trouble. My business here is practically finished. I just want to get out and get away. Can I use your office for about an hour? Sure. It's
2: all yours. Dollar...
1: I feel the same way. I spent a half an hour typing up my report on the Wendover claim and another ten minutes on the phone asking for an airplane back to Hartford. They said they'd call me right back, and I poured myself some of Fuchs' whiskey and sat down to stare out at the night. Lights burned up and down the white beach. People strolled up and down, looking at the water, holding hands. And I was sitting alone in Hillary Fuchs' office, waiting for a phone call and thinking about a curse.
2: Hi. Hi. Who are you? Anybody else here?
1: No, why?
2: You were kind of late.
1: So do you. What's on your mind?
2: You? Costigan wants to see you right away. I'm supposed to take you over.
1: Whoever Costigan is, tell him he doesn't want me.
2: You don't tell Sam things like that.
1: You know, it's been a long time since I shook in my boots when a skinny hood like you stood around acting tough. If you've got some business with Hillary Fuchs, look him up at his
2: home. This is Fuchs' office. You're behind his desk. You'll do. Now, come on, mister, and don't show me how loud a certified public accountant can growl. I just might swing this thing on your head. <laughs> That's better. You got a hat? No. I know Costigan wants to talk to you, but I'd sure like to belt you on just for the practice. I'm not Hillary Fuchs. Come on, let's go.
1: Hey, you're going to break my arm. I'd like to, just for the practice. Oh, <laughs> Now then, this Costigan, is he the one from Chicago? Uh, Sam's been there. Answer, the Sam Costigan kicked out of Chicago a few years ago? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What does he want to see Fuchs about? The Wendover dame. What? Something about the Wendover dame.
2: I don't know what it is. He just wants to see you.
1: Okay, what's your name?
2: Frank Scanlon.
1: Here, you put this thing in your pocket. Pull it out again in front of me and I'll brain you. Now let's go. Huh? Now I want to see Sam. Sure,
2: sure. Anything you say
1: followed Frank Scanlon out of the building to a waiting car, a black packet with side curtains. It was a nice touch for this day and age, but it didn't make much sense. None of it did. It was illogical in the beginning, middle, and end. Most of all, I didn't make much sense. I should have been in my room packing. Instead, I was on my way to see an old-time grifter and hoodlum named Sam Costigan, because someone had mentioned the name Wendover.
2: You want a smoke? I use my own. Suit yourself, fella.
1: Scanlon was a thin one with sharp, narrowed eyes. Too much padding in the shoulders, too much snap to the brim of his hat, too much point to the toe of his shoes. The 38 had taken away from him and handed back made a considerable bulge in the front of his coat. About six miles out of Miami Beach, he turned off the main highway onto a dirt road. About a mile of that, and up ahead we saw lights. The lights became a fine old colonial mansion, every room aglow. Two or three guards were watching the entrance to the front. They all needed shaves. No one said anything.
2: Yeah? It's me, Feely. Uh, this here is Hillary Fuchs. Sam wants to see him. Good morning. How
1: are you feeling, Mr. Feely?
2: <laughs> what kinds of punks are on nowadays? I wouldn't get frisky with him if I was you. He's a pretty touchy fella. It's so. Yeah. Uh, this way. Come on.
1: He led me into the main foyer where a hatchet girl with a lot of red hair stood ready for the evening's business, which hadn't begun yet. On the right, what had been the dining room of the old house was now a circular bar that could seat 25 or 30. To the left, in what had been the parlor and library, I counted two crap tables, two roulette tables, and two blackjack stands. Beyond all this, on a screen porch, a five-piece combo made music. A few tables and head waiters stood around looking bored. Scanlon led me upstairs, and we stopped in front of a wide, white door marked private. I thought he was going to knock, instead he whirled around very quickly and stuck the same old 38 about two inches into my ribs. Now let's stand steady.
2: Feely! Eddie! You giving you trouble, Frankie? Nah. I, uh.
1: I will, Buster. I'll give you plenty of trouble if you want it.
2: Hear how he talks to me? I'll crack him up a little for you if you like, Frankie. Nah. He got business with Sam right now. We'll take care of our business with him later on. However you say it, Frankie. I just wanted you to remember that. I will. The same way
1: I remember a dirty newspaper story. <laughs>
2: Know something I'm looking forward to you
3: now
1: here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story tomorrow there is a curse that goes with the wind over name goes wherever it is join us won't you Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure and join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
0: Welcome back. Well, definitely a bit of a twist in Johnny's situation at the end of episode two, as the Tory takes on a more hard-boiled note. Uh, you have to give credit to Virginia Gregg as Mrs. Wendover. She really turns in a strong performance as this quite uh, troubled woman. And it really is spellbinding and a reminder of her incredible range as an actress. We turn now to listener comments and feedback. And Troz Mary writes, uh, regarding the silver blue matter, I really thought the sister was going to be the head of the gang. That would have been an interesting plot twist. I I think they would have needed to lay the foundation for that a bit more for it not to feel out of nowhere. Uh, I think sometimes it does vary in terms of the type of twist you'll see as to the story they're trying to tell. And in this one, they were really trying to build up a bit of a sense of tragedy rather than having a sort of femme fatale story. Kind of adds a bit of variety. Uh, Then we also have a message on Instagram from Bonnie, who writes, Hi, just wanted to say again how much I love your podcast. I listen to it while I'm at work all day. Makes 10 hours go by fast. I posted about it and tagged you. It goes to my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hopefully, it will get you some more followers. Keep up the amazing work. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. And I appreciate those who uh, share our post and our audiograms over on Instagram. Bruce has also shared quite a few, and I appreciate it. It's nice because it gives folks like a really easy way to sample the show and kind of hear a little bit of a teaser. So if uh, an old-time radio detective program is something they're interested in, they can hear it. And I appreciate everyone who's uh, shared those on social media. And finally, we have an Instagram message from 188 735 who writes, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate you listening. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Meg, Patreon supporter since September 2015. Currently supporting the program at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Meg. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Friday with the conclusion of this week's serial. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment where...
4: Hello. Mr. Griswell uh, What? Hey. Oh, oh, say, Mr. Mitchell uh, Give me quite a start, sir I thought you were headed toward the native quarter It's that way I was, I was Then I run into... Uh, oh, oh, sorry, Mr. Mitchell May I present my charming companion, Miss Minetti Miss Minetti How do you do, Mr. Mitchell? Sugarfoot here was on her way to the horse hospital to see Tony Really?
3: I understand from Mr. Griswell that no one is allowed to see him
4: That's right
3: There is a policeman at the door your orders, I
4: believe. Right again.
3: But,
4: but why? Oh, government matter, my dear. We shouldn't be asking too many questions. I see. Oh, uh, say, Mr. Mitchell, Miss Minetti and I are on our way back to the hotel for about supper. you join us? Thanks, if Miss Minetti doesn't mind. Oh,
3: no, not at all.
4: Well, let's get going, then.
3: Uh, a moment, Mr. Griswold. I have just remembered an errand.
4: Oh, now, dear, you're not going to bust up our little party, are you?
3: No. No, you two run along. I
4: will meet you at the hotel in half an hour. Half an hour? Uh, say Mitchell. Yeah? You wouldn't want to reconsider, would you? Reconsider? I mean about not letting anyone visit Tony. Well, I might. Why, Miss Manetti. She seems real eager to see the lad. Real eager? But does she, Mr. Gurgle?
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.